Welcome back to the Rob O'Donnell Show on WILK News Radio. It is four, just about 4.09 here in Northeast Pennsylvania, 44 degrees and cloudy outside. The Rob O'Donnell Show is brought to you by Road Scholar Transport. You have unique shipping needs, and Road Scholar has unique shipping solutions. Dry van, temperature controlled, and high security are just a few. Visit roadscholar.com. Well, I'm happy to bring on my next guest, a friend, a lifelong law enforcement executive, and the former director of ICE, Tom Homan. Tom, thanks for joining the Rob O'Donnell Show today. Thanks for having me, Rob. So I, I saw you were just on stage with Sarah Carter down at TPUSA talking about the border. What, what went on down there during that discussion? Well, we're trying to educate people in uh, what's going on at that border because the government's not telling the truth, so we're going to. I've, I've done the border for 35 years or 34 years, and almost 35, but look, what's happening on the border is devastating. It's just not about illegal immigration anymore. It's about fentanyl killing Americans. It's about trafficking of women and children for sexual purposes. It's about, it's about known suspected terrorists crossing the border. Record numbers been apprehended. It's about the criminal cartels who now can you know, have outpourses control over the southern border. So we're trying to educate people and say, look, I don't care what your opinion is on illegal immigration. When you cause a crisis this big, it overwhelms the border patrol and takes most of them off the line duty. That's when bad things happen in this country. So we need to demand this border get secured. Absolutely. And we've seen this administration time and time again. We've seen the pundits all talk about they try and tie immigration reform with border security. Yes, they're symbiotic, but they are two separate acts, and you can't have one without the other. And I've heard you say hundreds of times, without a secure border, you can't do anything with policy as far as immigration reform. No, like, we, can't, we can't even talk about immigration reform to secure the border. We've got to stop the bleeding. Look, we've had, we had over 8 million people encountered on southern borders since Joe Biden's been president. That is a historic record, nothing even close. And just to know, you know, people rest off the terrorist watch list. You know, last year we had, what, 227 just on the southern border alone. And in the same year, we had 432 on the northern border. Northern border is vulnerable. Maritimes, the Coast Guard's record, it rests in a record number of maritimes. Our borders are open to not just illegal immigration, but organized crime, to gangs, to, to drug smuggling, to weapon smuggling, to terrorism. So, you know, it's, it's this administration hasn't done one thing to slow the flow. They've been in power three years. First year, historic record. Went from the most secure border to historic record the first year of the administration. Second year, they broke their own record and got a second historic record. Third year, they broke their record again and has a, have a new historic record. And to this day, three years in, they haven't done a damn thing to shut this border down. And we've seen almost, not almost, in every state in this nation, it's just become unsustainable and a financial burden on the taxpayer, not only on the federal level, but state and local level as well. Yeah, the American taxpayer are paying for all this. I mean, you know, I just talked to a couple of pastors up in Chicago, the black communities, especially have been left out in the cold because, you know, they see these illegal aliens going to Chicago, you know, or New York and getting put in a hotel room, you know, you know, 500 bucks a night. They're getting three hot meals a day. They got medical, free medical attention. Meanwhile, we got homeless vets on the street. The black community up in Chicago is up in arms. They feel like they've been left behind. It's like, a, you know, under, under President Trump, it was America first. Under this president, America last. It, it, and, you know, the money the taxpayers are spending us. Every time I go down the Texas border, I, get, I fly out of Rio Grande Valley, and my airplane is more than half full of illegal aliens with a brown manila envelope with a free ticket to any city of their choice, compliments of the taxpayers. Think about that for a moment. It's just... This this administration is complicit in alien smuggling. It's unbelievable. Just 
to, to put it in re- reality terms for people, I know I've been there, I know you've been there <laughs> thousands of times. Do we have operational control of our southern border? No. No, we don't. And, we, we, and I've had chief patrol agents tell me, one chief patrol agent used the term broken arrow. He says, Tom, I cannot contain what's coming across. He said on a good day, they're maybe containing 10% of what's coming across. Look, what we know, what we know, Gataways, 1.8 million now since Joe Biden's been in the White House. Known Gataways. We know they got away because we called them on video traffic, drone traffic, sensor traffic. We had 1.8 million images of people crossing the border that weren't arrested because the border patrol is so overwhelmed. They're in facilities changing diapers, making baby formula, processing. And meanwhile, hundreds of miles of the border are wide open. Matter of fact, the other day in, in, uh, in, in Lukeville, Arizona, they pulled every agent on patrol. We had hundreds of miles of border. There wasn't a single border patrol agent on patrol. You don't think the cartels had a field day with that, with the drugs and the fentanyl and the bad guys? There's a certain population that don't want to turn themselves over. you got to think, who's the 1.8 million? Why do they choose to pay more to get away? Because you pay the cartels more to get you to Chicago or New York or into the interior. You pay them less just to cross the border and turn yourself over. So why do 1.8 million people choose to pay more and not take advantage of a free airline ticket, free hotel room, free 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 food, free doctor, a work authorization for the next five, seven years. Why did they not take advantage of that giveaway program? Because they didn't want to be fingerprinted. That's just scared the hell out of every American. It does me. Absolutely correct. I'm speaking to Tom Holman, former director of ICE. Uh, Tom, the past three years, we've had more illegal immigrants, come, illegal aliens come over on the terrorist watch list than we've had in the past decade or two. Yeah, I mean, uh, under President Trump, four years under President Trump, we apprehended 11 off the terrorist watch list. 11. Hell, the Biden administration had 18 in the month of September. We had more in one month than we had in four years. So, like I said, last year was 227 plus 432 on the northern border. We talked about 659 in one year. In one year, under Trump administration, we had 11 in four years. Yes, the, the terrorism issue, look. Why would a terrorist try to get a, a plane, uh, a plane ticket, or a visa to come to the United States? Don't they get vetted? We created all these systems after 9/11 to make sure we don't get another person to get a visa and a plane ticket come here and do something bad. Why would you go through that procedure, pay the money, to know, knowing you're going to get vetted, when you can simply go to Mexico, pay the cartels extra money, and come in like the, the, the other 1.8 million people did? It's it's just you can get in this country unscathed. No one knows you're here. So we got 1.8 million people. We don't know where they're from. We don't know why they're here. We don't know what their intentions are. But we got 1.8 men that have escaped into this country. Unbelievable. Now, now you've been part of this Border 911 initiative. Tell us what, what that, what's that about and what the goal for that is. Just what we're doing right now. I, I started this nonprofit, 501c3c4. I, I brought, the, I think, the smartest border experts uh, on the planet. These are, these are men and women I actually worked with. Uh, so I created this group, and again, we're all retired. We're all doing this for one reason, because we want to secure the border, save lives, and protect America. So we're going to spend the next year going around the country educating American people, like I just did talking to you. Why is border security important? Why is it more than just illegal immigration? So when they get to the voting booth next year, they're going to vote for the person who's going to secure the border. I got Mark Morgan, who's the CBP commissioner, over that border show under Trump. I got Rodney Scott, who's the national chief of the border show under Trump. I got myself. I got Jason Jones, who was a captain in Texas DPS who spent his entire 30 years on criminal cartels. No one knows more about the activities and operation of criminal cartels than this man. I got Derek Moss, a, a director of a, a DEA Special Ops, 
who's, who's going around the country now talking about the scourge of fentanyl and, and talking to all these angel moms and dads with officers of children who were poisoned by the China drug. I got Sarah Carter, 20-year investigative journalist on the team. I mean, we got a great team of people that spent decades on the border. We call ourselves border experts because, you know, after this whole issue, I got all these people coming out of the woodwork saying, oh, I'm a border expert, I'm a border expert. I got border experts because based on a couple of things. Number one, every one of them, except Sarah, wore the uniform. Every one of them put people in prison. Every one of them investigated cartels. Sarah's a little bit different. She spent 20 years in investigative journalism. She brings a different perspective, which we need. So when I say this is a team of experts, it is because they did it. They've done it. They wore the uniform, and they, they've been involved with some of the most outrageous cartel cases in the history of this nation. So I got a great team. We're going to educate America so they make the right decision when they get to the voting booth. Absolutely. We're right there. And I encourage everybody to go to border911.com. That's border, B-O-R-D-E-R, 911.com. Check out what's going on there. And they're also on Twitter, border911live, at border911live. Tom, if you had... If, if, if you were, say, here, we're going to put you in charge to, to secure this border, change what's going on now, how could you do it? How long would it take you? I told President Trump, give me 120 days. And all, first thing I do is put the Remain in Mexico program back in. The highest courts of Milan have already said it's a, it's a legal program. That was a game changer for the Trump administration. That's number one. Put the Remain in Mexico program back in place. And don't ask Mexico to do it. Tell them to do it. And they'll put military in the southern northern border, like Trump had them before. We'll reinstitute the third safe country agreement. So if you're really, truly escaping fear and persecution from El Salvador and you get to Mexico, that's where you claim asylum because you're no longer in that country. So you obviously escaped that fear and persecution. So we're going to put the Trump policy back in. We're going to finish the wall. People say walls don't work. I mean, we got historic immigration with even 465 miles of new wall. No. Look, where, where is 95% of the people coming? Well, there's not a wall. So, no, we're going, we're going to dust off the Trump plans. We're going to institute them. And I told the president, give me 120 days. We'll lock it down. Yeah, the country definitely needs it because, I said, there's not a city in America that hasn't felt the, the, the scourge of it. It's, it's unsustainable. It's manufactured. I know I've heard you say that many times. This is being done by design. And when you see our politicians today, this administration, say, well, we we're negotiating for more money for funding for our border. They mean more agents to process and more judges to process. Not stop, but let's process the ones that are here and get them further into the country more. Am I wrong in saying that? No, you're not. No, you're not. It's, it, uh, most of that money goes to give to NGOs, non-government groups, who continue to care and feed. But as far as enforcement posture, you know, adding anything to help enforce the law, they're not going to do it. Look, they don't, they don't need money. They don't need money. This is a policy issue. If they would turn the Trump policy back on tomorrow, they won't need a single dollar, you know, more than they're already budgeted for. They don't need billions of more dollars down there. They just need to turn the law on. Let these officers do what they've sworn to do. Let them enforce the law. That's what they're supposed to do, and you solve this issue. The laws are the same. The infrastructure's in place. The agents are ready to go. Their leadership's ready to go. They're, they're, they're on the ground leadership, I should say, not the ones in Washington. The only thing that's lacking is the, will, the, the wherewithal and the policies to do it, right? You got it. Absolutely. You said it better than I did. They can fix this tomorrow, but they don't want to. Tom Holman, former director of ICE, and now with the Border 911 initiative. Again, that's border911.com. Tom, I truly appreciate you taking time out. I know you're down there busy, uh, you know, telling telling everybody what needs to be done and getting that word out there. Just know you you always have a place here to get that word. All right, thank you, sir. Thank you, Tom. I appreciate it. That's uh, it's 4:20 here at WILK, and again, that was Tom Holman, former director of ICE, and believe me, 35 years. 
in law enforcement. He's been in charge of the border before when it was the most secure in our lifetime. I'd listen to what he has to say and the team of experts he has. Again, go to border911.com and check it out. Um, something needs to change because what's happening now is unsustainable. It's uh, 421 here at WILK. We'll be back after this. Welcome back to the Rob O'Donnell Show on WILK News Radio. It's 426, 44 degrees and cloudy. Join the WIL, join WILK Christmas Eve and Christmas Day for the best Christmas music and stories of the season. An American Christmas hosted by Chip Davis, a Mannheim steamroller. He will tell you the origins of Christmas traditions and customs with the best holiday music, including tradition and contemporary Christmas songs. An American Christmas begins at noon Christmas Eve and runs through Christmas Day and night. Brought to you by Dr. Casey Burke of Hand Surgery Associates. Make sure you check us out on WILK. Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, get your Christmas songs on in the background while you're hopefully spending time with friends and family. Uh, I found out about that Berks County uh, Democrat representative from, from Harrisburg who was resigned. And it turns out it wasn't a surprise. He resigned his seat of the 140th District. Uh, just hours after the House used their slim 201 to 201, 202 to 201 majority to push through their fiscal plan. His departure leaves the House evenly split between the parties until a special 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 election can't speak today. Special election can be held on February 13th in 2024. Um, he was elected to a district justice seat for Falls Township on November 7th, so the departure was no surprise. And given the departure makeup of his district, his replacement will likely be another Democrat returning uh, to the House, returning the House to a one-vote majority again. So, you know, they have to put up, and there's going to be not much going on. Like I said, they're taking recess until um, into the next year. And I believe the House isn't even expected to do anything until March. So uh, February 13th would put him in place without any issues there. So I just wanted to, uh, to uh, you know, follow up and button up, you know, talking about that. I, only, I don't really like talking about things I only have a little bit of information on. But like I said, it was passed to me just as I walked in the, uh, came across my feed on my phone just as I walked into the studio. And it turned out it, would, it happened over the weekend anyway. Well, we were just talking to Tom Holman, and again, I, I know Tom pretty well. We've spoken a couple of panels together, and uh, he knows what he's talking about. He knows what he's doing. He ran ICE during the most successful time of border enforcement in my lifetime. I mean, there was, there was a portion in the 60s where illegal immigration was higher, was lower, and then from in the 40s earlier, of course, it was lower. But since then... Since the, the late 1960s, the border was the most secure under the last administration and has been manufactured to, to create havoc. And we've seen it time and time again. You saw the, the details of what they're getting, what they're being handed all around the country. And the, the, the key facts that he mentioned, the 1.9 million gotaways, these aren't just people, the majority of them, who just slipped through, who just got past border security. These are people specifically paying more to be escorted in so they're not caught, so they're not fingerprinted. They're giving up all those financial benefits of free plane tickets, free health care, free uh, work permits, free money. 
free cell phones, you know, everything that that's being received by the immigrants who are just crossing the border, walking up to the nearest agent and say, hey, I'm, I'm requesting asylum. And again, the majority, which historically 80 percent of which do not qualify for asylum. But with five, six, seven years until a trial date, where are they going to be at that time? How long have they been here? What's gone on since then? But it's scary. 1.9 million people are basically bypassing free money, free everything to come in undetected. If you think there's not 1% of that, that's a danger to us. You're, you're truly naive. It, it's, it's, it's hard to fathom that this is being allowed. Uh, you, you had Mayor Adams of New York on TV this morning saying that we're going to have to cut things more. They're, they're already at 15%. Come January is the additional 5% to hit that 15% mark. And he said, we're going to have to do even more. We can't sustain this. But they're still a sanctuary city. There's still a um, right to uh, shelter policy. You have the communities in Chicago, which Tom brought up, you know, speaking to some of the pastors up there who are furious, saying we're, we're just getting pushed aside. You know, we talk about being marginalized. We've talked about, you know, being uh, not put as a priority in the community. And now we're just literally being pushed aside by this this new clientele that's coming in, the illegal aliens. And they're furious. If you listen to the press conferences coming out of there, sooner or later they're going to say enough's enough. And if you look at the polling, they are starting to say enough's enough. They are starting to say, hey— we need something different because this is not working. And it looks like the uh, Congress and the, the Senate have ex- uh, postponed their holiday break to talk more on the border. The White House has been getting involved with the border talks on Capitol Hill. And again, they're still tying it to Ukraine aid rather than a separate entity. But the White House chief of staff, Jeff Zents, recently uh, heard from powerful Democrat senator that steep levels of migration at the U.S.-Mexican border had become, in a word, untenable. Illinois Senator Dick Durbin, the number two Democrat, had signed on to a statement denouncing reports of harmful changes to our asylum system that were being proposed as part of the border deal on Capitol Hill. We just talked about that with Tom Holman. The way asylum is supposed to work is you get to the country You flee your country, you get to the country closest to our border, you go to an embassy, and you apply for asylum. That's the Remain in Mexico Mexico policy. You're out of your country, you're not in a danger, wherever you fled from, be it Venezuela, be it from wherever, you're in Mexico. The reason Colombia, and we've talked about this here on the show, is so accommodating to let Venezuelans pass through Colombia is because they're agreeing not to stay. They're giving them a temporary transport visa where they can go through and they're gone. So we're going to have to do something different. But it appears that there's been some talk with the White House chief of staff and the Democrat, number two Democrat, to where they say they agree they have to do something. What that something is, uh, we'll see. It's 433 here at WILK. We'll be back after the news with Paul Michaels. Welcome back to the Rob O'Donnell Show on WILK News Radio. It's 44 degrees and cloudy outside at 
439. It's the point in the show where we honor our heroes across America who made the ultimate sacrifice here at home. 82 police officers made the ultimate sacrifice across this nation. Six of them are from here in Pennsylvania, and some of them really close to here. We're going to start off with Patrolman Thomas W. Evans of the Johnstown Police Department. In 1959, was killed as he was attempting to stop a speeding vehicle. Police officer William John Gormley, Philadelphia Police Department of Pennsylvania, 1936, suffered a fatal heart attack moments after subduing an emotionally disturbed person who had set himself on fire and jumped off a 20-foot high roof. Police officer William D. Sanders of the Philadelphia Police Department in 1914 succumbed to injuries sustained three days earlier when he fell from his horse while on duty. Patrolman Robert Flanner, Waynesboro Borough Police Department, 1908, suffered fatal injuries when he was beaten by a prisoner inside of a police station's jail cell. Police Officer Patrick Rafferty, Old Forge Borough Police Department, in 1899. Police Officer Patrick Rafferty was shot and killed inside of German No. 2 Mine near Old Forge, Pennsylvania. A drunk mine worker had threatened other miners with a revolver and then entered the mine's engine room, where he held two employees hostage. During the incident, the subject accidentally knocked over an oil lamp and started a fire inside the mine. A mine firefighter who was unaware of the situation entered the engine room to put out the fire before being taken hostage too. The firefighter was able to sound the mine's emergency whistle, alerting surrounding townspeople. Officer Rafferty and a second officer responded to the mine to investigate why the whistle was sounded and were informed of the hostage situation. As they entered the engine room, the suspect inside opened fire on them, striking Officer Rafferty in his side. The other officers and hostage tackled the subject and took him into custody. We have Police Officer Daniel McMullen, Pittsburgh Bureau of Police, in 1896. Succumbed to injuries sustained on July 27, 1867, when he was assaulted by men inside of a saloon in Penn Avenue. That's our six from here in northeast Pennsylvania. Let me uh, go to the phones. We have uh, Lorraine from Hazleton on Christmas. Lorraine, how are you? Hanging in. How are you, Rob? Doing all right. Well, I never have any luck with anything else. Some libels. Just a call and wish you a Merry Christmas. Because last week I tried to get on a couple of times to read a poem in memory of my mother who passed away right before Christmas, but... Don't mind me, I'm out of breath, I'm sorry. You all right? Uh, I, I guess so. If I'm not around, then you could come to my wake. No, 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 don't talk like that, Lorraine. I'm only, listen, I know that. You know what, I apologize. I shouldn't talk like that on the radio. I take that back. I didn't mean anything by it, honest to goodness. I didn't rob, please. No, okay. Are you okay, though? Well, I'm in such pain all the time that when I walk... I get out of breath like that. All right. Yeah. I'll be all right. Um, unless, you know what I want to ask you, though? Okay. What did May 15th have to do with your mother? I forget. Was May, it her birthday? May no. 15th? No. I, my mo- I was born on my mother's birthday in January. No, but wasn't something about May 15th? She didn't pass away then, did she? No, she passed away just before Thanksgiving. I could have sworn 
were, it was a while ago, something about May 15th. Well, anyway, um, you know what? If you won't be bored, could I read one? Uh, can you hold on to read it? Because I'm up against a break right now, but I do want to hear it. I sure. This gives you some time. I, de- I definitely want to hear it. It gives you some time to catch your breath, too, Lorraine, all right? So I could make sure you're doing all right. All right. All right, so just hold on. I'll put you on hold, and then we'll bring you back after the break. All right, Rob. Thank you, Lorraine. Thank you. Uh, It's uh, time for traffic and weather. Welcome back to the Rob O'Donnell Show on WILK News Radio. It's uh, 43 degrees and cloudy outside. Temperatures going down 448 here in the studio. You can join WILK Christmas Eve and Christmas Day for the best Christmas music and stories of the season. An American Christmas hosted by Chip Davis of Mannheim Steamroller. He will tell you the origins of Christmas traditions and customs with the best holiday music, including traditional and contemporary Christmas songs. An American Christmas begins at noon on Christmas Eve and runs through Christmas Day and night. Brought to you by Dr. Casey Burke of Hand Surgery Associates. Let's go back to the phone now. We have Lorraine from Hazleton. Lorraine, you catch your breath? You feeling better? Uh, yeah, oh, yeah, I'm fine. Okay, that's good to hear. You had me worried there for a second. Thought I was going to have to have Jake shut down the show and run out there and uh, check on you. Well, okay, but that's what it takes. I'm only... <laughs> I better watch. Me and my sense of humor are going to get me in trouble. Yeah. All right, so uh, tell us about the poem you got for today. Well, it's one of many that I wrote in memory of my mother who died on December 22nd, 1995. So I really wasn't going to read one today, but but being that you pulled my leg. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, and it's called My Mother's Heavenly Christmas. Another year has come and gone, and Christmas Day is very near. The only present that I would yearn for is a moment of your time with me here. Oh, I'll still go around the block and stare at the twinkling of the lights. Remember, Mother, how it used to be to gaze at all the beautiful sights? I'll bet nothing can compare to the celebration of above, especially the beauty of our Lord's dear face and the blessings of his wondrous love. I need you now more than ever, particularly your warm and strong embrace. Please ask God to give me strength to accept the trials that I must face. The end. Very beautiful poem, Lorraine. From the heart, it mean, always means uh, special. And uh, I'm sure it touched a lot of people as it did me. Like I said, I lost my mom just before Thanksgiving. Uh-huh. And it was unexpected. But, um, you know, yeah. these things happen. We don't have control over them. But uh, Yeah, I know. I... <laughs> With a lot of these poems, I made people cry. You know, because it, it, you know, it brings back uh, memories of any of their deceased loved ones yeah. in general. You well, know? when it's from the heart, when it's from your heart, there's a lot of other people who feel have those same feelings. Maybe don't know how to get them out, and when they hear something like one of your poems, that's why I like to hear them. You know, it triggers that that memory. It triggers that. Yeah, you know, that's how I feel. I just never said it out loud, and uh, you know, that's why it's good for people to hear every now and then. Well, thanks for the let me read it. <laughs> no problem. Uh, and call in on December 22nd. I'll be here on Friday. Yeah, well, I wasn't sure where you were going to be there. And, and 
like a lot of people play leapfrog over me and, and, and I can't I can't get in so then that's why I guess I sound a little discouraged. I don't know what do I do now. No, no, no. I, as I say and I mean it, you're always welcome to call here. And you know, I apologize for not being able to get it, but I, I left early on Thursday and I wasn't here on Friday, so we had a lot to jam in last week. But you're yeah. you're always welcome to call here. And that's why I wanted to I'm gonna. I was gonna say grab you, but that doesn't sound right either. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm gonna be getting you in trouble. Well, without... All right. Well, at least you're not huffing and puffing now, so that's what I like to hear. So you can choke around all you want. Hey, hey, Rob, I'm, I'm huffing and puffing in a different way. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. All right, Lorraine. Well, I'll speak to you on Friday. Make sure you call in on Friday, okay? Okay. Well, we'll, when, when you talk to Jake beforehand, ask him what, tell him what kind of Christmas song you want to hear before you come on. We'll play whatever Christmas song you want to come into. Oh, well, I know it's Silver Bells because that was my mother's favorite, one, of, right. one of her favorites. Well, we can, we can make that happen, Lorraine. We can listen to the song together. We'll bring you in and play it. Okay. We'll sing together, too. <laughs> I don't know about singing it. I don't think they need to hear that from me anyway. But okay. I appreciate you calling. I'll talk to you again on Friday. Well, thank you, Robert. All right, Lorraine. Have a great night. Hey, you too, bye now. Bye-bye. It's uh, 4.53 here at WILK. We'll be back with the Rob O'Donnell Show in just a minute. You're with the Rob O'Donnell Show on WILK News Radio. 43 degrees and cloudy out there at 4.56 here. Uh, and, and like I just said, I just got a text message in from Brian. Listening to Lorraine reading the poem about her mom as I sit here at the cemetery next to my mother's grave. Thanks, Lorraine. See, I told you, Lorraine, people listen. It comes, uh, touches the heart. Maybe words that they, they feel inside or they think and they just don't express out loud. And when you express it, it touches them. So, uh, you know, God bless out there. Touching base with your mom uh, for the holidays. And uh, they're around. They see us. They're aware of what's going on. If you have faith, that's just the way it is. Um Pulled this story today, and it actually uh, made me laugh a little bit, and for no other reason. But Biden's daughter, Ashley Biden, she's the youngest daughter and the only daughter that he has with Jill Biden, owes thousands of dollars of income tax lien documents show to Pennsylvania. She owes just over $5,000 in taxes, the liens show. Now, it's not a big deal. Plenty of people have liens for their taxes. I get it. But she also received money from her brother. But I just found it comical that it was from Pennsylvania, no less. Ashley Biden, President Biden's daughter, owes just over $5,000 in income taxes beginning in 2015, according to a recent tax lien docket. Liens are legal claims imposed by the government on a property or assessed to secure unpaid taxes after repeat attempts to collect. On December 1st, the Pennsylvania Department of Revenue in Philadelphia County notified Biden that the amount of such unpaid tax, interest, additions, and penalties is a lien in favor of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania upon the taxpayer's property, real, personal, or both, as the case may be, according to the notice. The period start date listed on the lien begins January 1st of 2015, when Joe Biden was vice president in the Obama administration and ends January 1st, 2021, days before he was sworn in as president. 
Ashley Biden and her attorney did not respond to multiple requests from media for comment. The scales, uh, like I said, nothing like Hunter, but Joe is constantly talking about Joe Biden, the president, is constantly talking about how wealthy and connected people don't pay their fair share and can afford to pay more. And it just so happens that both of his living children do not pay their taxes, said uh, the founder of a nonprofit, Marco Polo, and former President Trump aide, told the media in an interview Friday. This is just another example of the Bidens being careless, he said. Like you'd think that uh, they would show a little bit more prudence when it came to uh, the Americans' first family to make sure they didn't have any tax liens against themselves. Interesting, though, and again, is it a big deal? No, there's thousands of people across Pennsylvania who probably have tax liens in that amount or higher. But the fact that it is the first order, and they do talk about people paying their fair share, isn't it just a little bit hypocritical? Isn't it just a little bit like, come on, couldn't pay your 5000 dad couldn't figure something out? I mean, Pennsylvania, you know, Scranton Joe, how can you let a Pennsylvania lien come on your uh, on your daughter? Well, I don't know. We'll see how this goes. Uh, coming up on five o'clock here on WILK, we'll be back with the Rob O'Donnell show after the break.